But first, a little disclaimer. We are prefacing a lot of the appeal of this podcast on the fact that we're prosecutors. However, we need you to understand we are not doing this podcast in our professional capacity as prosecutors. We're doing this as people after hours on our own time with our own equipment. Now, we know a lot about the law by virtue of what we do, uh, but we're also just interested in true crime. So our opinions and commentary in this podcast are not the opinions of our office or our employer. They are not our professional opinions and nothing in this podcast should be construed as legal advice or anything other than three friends blowing off some steam together. So with that in mind, don't try this at home. You know what it is. This is Joe. And Cheryl. And I'm Ray. And this is No True Bill. Well, on today's episode of No True Bill, Cheryl talks to us about A.B. Shermer, the bad padre, the deacon who be freaking, the irreverent <laughs> reverend, sinister minister. Up in these streets, everybody got their ears on, yes. everybody ready to roll. Sure Cheryl. Yes. Cheryl is up. Cheryl has been... So excited about this, uh, this case, and I don't. I'm. I feel like I don't even want to steal your thunder to give your name tag. You've been because all I know about it is the tag that you've given it. Yeah. Uh, and so I will. I will defer to you. So Matt. I've been psyched because we've been delayed in recording for a while. Indeed. And even during Ray's last two episodes, I have had this case and I've wanted to talk about it because it's so interesting, but I know I can't talk about it with you because we want to save it for the podcast. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to be finally talking about Arthur Burton Shermer. His name is A.B. Shermer. Also Shermer. known, <sighs> thanks to the prosecution, as the Sinister Minister. Oh, what a tagline. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. So, I'm going to start actually with happier times. Okay. <clears throat> uh, long about 2001, A.B. is the longtime pastor at the Bethany United Methodist Church in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Um, he's been the pastor there for about 22 years at that point, I think. He meets the woman who would become his wife. Her name is Betty Jean. Is Lebanon outside of Philly? Uh, well, it's sort of west and I think a little bit north of Philly. Mm -hmm. It's it's just beside Hershey. Like okay, just to the east oh, okay. of okay. Hershey. Because there's Mount Lebanon, which is in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, in indeed. Yes. Okay. So we're talking Hershey PA. Yes. Love in the church. Love in a church. Um A.B., like I said, is a longtime pastor there. Apparently, he has a very nice voice. He is a tenor. Uh, oh. about that later. But um, he is very well-liked, very well-respected. I found out today from reading an article, a local article, uh, that he actually served as chaplain to the Pennsylvania House of Representatives for a while. Look at there. Yeah. Um, Connected. He's mm -hmm. also very charismatic, of course. His uh, congregation is fond of him. One of his friends describes him as knowing scripture and knowing how to deliver it. Mm. Boom. So he's Best of both uh, worlds. very motivating to people. So he meets Betty Jean. They, I don't know the circumstances surrounding their meeting, but I do know that uh, they develop a liking to each other and they get married. Um, <laughs> after... 
After about a month of being married, A.B. accepts a new job as a pastor at Readers United Methodist Church in Readers, Pennsylvania. Now, Readers is in Monroe County, which is um, right around Stroudsburg. So it's like just southeast of Scranton. Okay. Up in that area. In that region. So it's like two hours away from, from former church. Right. Okay. Um, so about a month after they're married, they moved to Readers. Um, the relationship from those who are close to them, they reported as, as a good, normal, supportive relationship. So um, then we have a tragedy. So at 1.50 a.m. on July 15th, 2008, mm-hmm. seven years after they're married, A.B. is rushing Betty Jean to the hospital. Uh, she has, according to A.B., woken up in the night complaining of severe jaw pain. Apparently she did have TMJ. Okay. Um, they're driving to the hospital. There is a deer that walks out into the road. Oh. Uh, they swerve. He loses control of the vehicle. Uh, they hit a guardrail where their PT cruiser comes to a stop. Mm. Um, then some passersby uh, come along. They call 911, uh, and they figure out that Betty Jean has suffered severe head trauma and brain injury. She gets placed on life support. Uh, within a day, the doctors are telling her there's nothing that they can do. Mm, nothing and, they can do, but I heal you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and uh, it, that obviously didn't work. <laughs> and A.B. has uh, her taken off life support the next day. Oh, that's mm-hmm. unfortunate. It is very unfortunate. You have life, life insurance on her, though? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, all right. That was not not an aspect of the case. All right. uh, Cross that motive off the list. Right. Just as a matter of interest for later, uh, they did not do a full autopsy because it was confirmed that she had been an unrestrained passenger in a motor vehicle accident. So the forensic pathologist was like, all right, good enough for me. Uh, Has head injuries, was unrestrained passenger. It looks good. Keep it moving. So So uh, if you poison somebody and then drive them in a car and intentionally crash it with them not wearing a seatbelt, Emmys ain't going to look at it. I'm, that's a gamble to take. Note though, to right? self. That is a hell of a gamble. That's a hell of a, I'm like this Emmy was just like, nah, we good, but maybe they're not all the same. You just, know? you know, note to self. It's <laughs> like her, her <laughs> head is fucked up. Was this bitch in an accident? They're like, yeah, mm. unrestrained passenger in a motor vehicle accident. Like, oh, cool. Yeah. Sign off on it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, then right after that, AB has Betty Jean cremated. And uh-huh. um, there's your sign. Everything just happened really quickly between the accident, the death, the cremation and the services, especially when, you know, they weren't expecting anything to happen. So uh, at that point, Betty Jean's family did have some questions uh, specifically regard to uh, the cremation, because apparently Betty Jean had talked to her family members about not being down with cremation. Yeah, I was just um, wondering about that. Like, I mean, obviously everybody's different, but is that show my ignorance is that a typically all right christian burial practice i mean if <clears throat> I mean, yeah. are you allowed to if you're a member of the church a member of the cloth such as this man are you Indeed. allowed to cook what? your kin when they die you know yeah, I, mean, I think i think it's okay well it, it sounds like i don't know what like is that inherently well, suspicious that somebody Methodist. like him would do that no, I, don't, I don't if we talking baptists and stuff that's that's you know i'd it say it could I'd be, be all like, right mm, oh not but, that would be shady but but, but methodist 
Methodists are generally pretty chill. Okay. All right. All right. I didn't mm. know if that was like a red flag right there. <clears throat> no, I, I don't think that's a religiously tied red flag. I mean, some people have personal opinions, I think, <clears throat> about, you know, what, of course, your your body does after you're, you're right. dead. But well, there's most, a lot of talk most about... Most folks yeah. just generally think your body is a shell for you while you're on this earth. And then afterwards, you're not confined by the constraints of your body. So your body doesn't really matter much. Once your soul is released. There are some deep dives. If we can get into right. some religious theory about a lot of talk of resurrection. Yeah, you can't resurrect I mean, if you're all crispy. True. But I mean. Hmm. But that, I'm, anyway. That's Yeah. I digress. <laughs> um, so they didn't talk about why Betty Jean had told them that she wasn't really with cremation. But uh, A.B. assures them that they had spoken about it. Uh, and they both decided to be cremated when they passed. Um, so... There were some other questions, but for the large part at that point, they just sort of went unanswered and everybody grieved. Uh, and then we get to uh, some rumors, I guess, start to circulate. Mm. Parishioners at the church, of course, were devastated at Betty Jean's loss and they tried to be there for AB. Um, but there were some rumors not really surrounding Betty Jean's death but more surrounding some other activities of the pastor. Oh, you know what he was doing. Strange. So now we're going to talk about one of the families who attended the church. Mm -hmm. um, Cindy and Joe uh, Masanti were married for 18 years and had two kids. They started attending at Reader's because Joe had a history of alcoholism mm. and he wanted support and help with staying sober. Um, and they sought that out in the church. So they had been commendable. Yeah. They'd been members there. Uh, AB was doing marriage counseling with the two of them to help them work through their relationship. Yeah, he was. Um, eventually Cindy actually started counseling that wife. Mm. Cindy actually became employed by the oh. church. Uh, the church hired her as an administrative assistant for the church. Payment for services rendered. Uh, Put her on. Joe, Joe also, <laughs> Joe also did some. He was a carpenter by trade. So like Jesus. So Joe did. Joe did some work around the church. Um, but they are members of the church. So, uh, one of their children is uh, Samantha. And one day, not long after Betty Jean's death, Samantha, for some reason, has her mom's phone and she discovers a number of text messages between her mom and A.B. Mm. Give her to that, that Holy Spirit. pretty clearly indicate that there is a highly inappropriate relationship going on between Cindy Missanti and A.B. Shermer. Yeah. So uh, Sam, Sam is an older teenager at this point. So and she knows. She knows what's up. Mm -hmm. She decides to make a fake email account and send an email to AB, letting him know that someone knows what's up. Oh. And that it better stop. That's spicy. Or he's about to get exposed. Oh. Mm. Tell me she extorts him because so, that would be <laughs> AB and Cindy figure out they talk i guess because ab talks to cindy and he's like hey i got this thing about our thing who this is uh and they figure out that it's sam uh. so what they do is they bring sam in to the church because it was not into, sam at gmail.com right 
<laughs> they bring Samantha. They bring Samantha into the church, and basically sit her down and say, "How dare you accuse us of having an inappropriate relationship? Oh, there is nothing going on between they just us." They double down on that. Huh? They double down on it. Okay. Um, and Bill Clinton. They yeah. right. They basically tell her to keep her mouth shut and mind her, mind her elders and. Mm. Mind your damn manners. Right. <laughs> ain't nothing, ain't nothing to see here. Ooh. Um, so apparently also around this time, Joe Missanti becomes suspicious that something may be up with Avi and Cindy. And I don't know how it comes about, but somehow Joe talks to Samantha about the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and you, but you know, girl tell you what i know right sam tells her dad what she knows and then he asks her and she's very specific about this she says he asked me does she love him Ooh, that also sounds like super healthy ps right like (laughs) talking to your daughter about the fact your wife's cheating you think you think your mom's stepping out on me what do you know tell me tell me what you got do you think she loves him right that's so so i don't know if joe broached this subject with samantha or samantha actually came to her dad and right, was like right. you need to know what's dad, going on probably here. more likely right. right so i don't know dad was asking about teriyaki burgers right. yeah you didn't know <laughs> i don't know i don't know the sitch i don't know the sitch um but what your draws is joe, joe s joe s samantha does she love ab and samantha answers to her dad that she believes that she does oh ab and c mm. <laughs> I've been wanting to from the very beginning. I'm sorry. So Maybe stupid. See, that's that's their couple's name. You're right. Oh man. So Joe apparently confronts Cindy, who admits to it, but promises to end it. But she denied it in the house of the Lord. Mm. Mm. Only, only to Sam. Oh, okay. Oh. Um. But apparently she cops to it when Joe talks to her and she promises to end it. But within just a couple of days, Joe discovers that she's still having secretive communications with AB. Um, Again, not clear on the exact details or order of things, but Joe goes into a spiral after that. He ends up leaving the house. drinking, I bet. He ends up leaving the house with a firearm. Oh. Um, Cindy does two things. She takes the kids and moves... Uh, somewhere where Joe doesn't know where they are. Mm-hmm. And the other thing she does is she calls AB, gives him the heads up. Mm. My man's is coming for Joe's you. Joe's out here yeah. with a gun. I don't know what his plans so are. Get the drop on it. I don't know what he might do. Mm-hmm. Just be aware. Hmm. Stay strapped so, and Oh, in addition to moving the kids away, she also forbids them from talking to their father. Um, Samantha says that her dad calls them several times that day and they just watch the phone ring. Damn, that's cold. That's icy. Um, that's cold. It ain't his fault, you a hope. Right? Sam actually received a voicemail on her phone that she listened to from her dad and it was the last voicemail she received from him that said, if you love me at all, please call me. Oh. So the next day, Cindy goes to the church and finds... Uh, a broken window. She goes in and Joe Missanti is seated at A.B. Shermer's desk with a single gunshot wound to his head. Oh, yikes. Uh, interestingly, the desk, A.B.'s desk, Joe handmade for him. Damn, that's oh. cold. You're going to oh. blast a man 
at a desk he made for you? Well, oh. it, did, well did the minister do it or was this a legit, or I mean, I guess is this part of the inquiry? So that's sort of part of the inquiry. Okay. Um, after Cindy finds Joe, you know, it be was clapping deceased. him cheeks on that desk. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's <laughs> true. Dude, that's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. Mm. I mean, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot. He is indeed sinister. I'm sorry. Please continue. <clears throat> so after Cindy finds Joe's body, of course, they call the police and everything. And, uh, Cindy comes home and sits the kids down and tells them that their dad decided he didn't want to be here anymore. Mm. Oh, it's his fault now, That's huh? What it is. And then Cindy and AB immediately come out as a couple and claim they're in love publicly. Mm. <coughs> That's classic. Yes. Lots of time for old C to grieve, huh? I'm saying. So uh, at Joe's funeral services, which Cindy, tell me he put on AB. AB did service. Tell oh, me. I don't know. You know, I don't oh, know. That would have been amazing. That would have been terrible. Ooh. No. So Joe has family that's coming in for his services. Sure. And when they arrive, Cindy proceeds to tell Joe's family, including his sister, uh, whose name is is Rosemary Cobb, all about AB, and that she's in love with him. And she tells Rose that it's just been an emotional affair so far, but that she loves AB and that they're going to be together. And Rose describes giving her the Will Smith Cindy being giddy and having childlike excitement when she's talking about AB. This is when she comes for her dead brother's funeral. And this is your dead brother's wife. And this is dead brother's wife. Uh, Well, Rose automatically is pissed. And also growing in her suspicions about what a terrible person A.B. Shermer is. Mm-hmm. And because Cindy Musanti can't read a room, she just continues to gush over A.B. So Rose is like, <clears throat> I don't know if my brother would kill himself, which is what mm-hmm. every person. Every person always says. Always right. thinks. Right. Um, so she keeps hearing Cindy talk about A.B. and talk about A.B. So she's like, I'm going to ask this bitch some questions. Mm. So she starts questioning her about A.B. and his past. And the answers to those questions lead Rose to reporting A.B. to the church for his affair mm-hmm. with Cindy. Mm-hmm. Um, the church is, of course, now aware that one of the parishioners shot himself in the church or supposedly shot himself in the church. Yeah. any I mean, like, obviously, I know we're probably going to delve into that further, but like a note, anything. I mean, now at the at the funeral, here we are coming to town, our brother killed himself as his relatives. What do we know other than he was found at a desk with a gunshot wound? That's all we know. That's all we know. Okay. That's all we know. Um, other than the church is, of course, doing its own investigation and the police are doing an investigation. All right. Um, so Rose reports A.B. to the church for his affairs and for um, all of the information that Cindy gave her about him and she also calls the police and tells him that she find they that she finds it awfully coincidental that both Cindy and AP spouses find themselves dead within three months of each other. Oh that's how quick this time frame was? Yes. Damn. So when when AB's old lady got got yes he was that was during the same time he was probably uh Tagaroo and Joe's gal. Indeed. Oh. Indeed. Oh, that's Sam didn't discover the affair until after Betty Jean <clears throat> had passed. Yeah. But it was pretty clear that this had been going on. Hmm. 
So because Rose gets this information and puts it all together, she calls the police and reports all of it. She also says, BT dubs, you might want to ask somebody about his first wife. What? So the police then start by investigating the death of Joe Masanti. Uh, in the meantime, AB resigns from the church and moves out of the parsonage because, you know, you can't live in a parsonage if you ain't the pastor to church. Mm -hmm. uh, but guess where he goes, Joe? He probably moves in with Cindy. That he does. Uh, nice. Uh, he moves in with Cindy. Of course he does. And, um, but they ain't married. No, no. Even before God he moved in, even before he That's moved adultery. in, right after Joe died, he started spending nights there and would sometimes spend days there. Of course. He did. And then when the church, when the formal complaint was filed to the bishop of the church, rather than stick around and wait for the investigation, he just resigned. And then he moved in with Cindy. Um, so, as I stated, the police start with the investigation of the death of Joe. Uh, both Cindy and A.B. have alibis for the time of Joe's death. And all of the evidence with regard to Joe's death is consistent with suicide. Um, so, they... That's a suicide. So, during the co-occurring church and police investigations of Joe's death... Other members of AB's congregation come forward with claims of AB being manipulative and inappropriate with them or their wives. So with all of this alleged infidelity and shadiness going on, the police decide to take another look at Betty June's death. Um, because of the circumstances surrounding the crash, there was not a lot of investigation to speak of. Yeah, what are they going to go on? Uh, and the body is just yeeted. It's right. gone. So there were photographs of the accident scene. There okay. was an officer that responded with the EMTs, and he thankfully thought enough to take pictures of the car and the scene. <laughs> Wait a second. Weird. Whoa. <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> Whoo. Pictures. So Crazy idea. He take he has pictures of the the outside of the car, the guardrail, the damage to the car. He has pictures of the interior of the car, um, all sorts of pictures of the interior where all of the blood is in the car. Um, he takes some pictures where you can see some of the roadway, but he wasn't intentionally taking pictures of the roadway. I don't think. Mm -hmm. um, but there are pictures of wide angle pictures of the vehicle that show marks. And lack of marks on the road. On the road. Okay. Some marks and some lack of marks. So they had photographs. Uh, they had a 911 call in response. Mm -hmm. So that means that there were witnesses to talk to. Um, and there were some other concerns of the family that they'd had, but not, I guess, fully expressed to police until they started with this investigation. Mm -hmm. uh, and they discovered some really weird and inconsistent statements that AB had made about the crash. So um, let's start with some of the witness stuff. So seatbelt. As I mentioned, Betty was an unrestrained passenger in a motor vehicle. Indeed. However, mm. Betty Jean Shermer was one of these people who would not put the car in drive unless Shame everyone in the vehicle had a belt on. One of thems. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. She Nerd. was a a militant seatbelt wearer. She was a seatbelt drill sergeant. Um, Religious seatbelt I mean, wearer? There you go. <laughs> well, we're talking, this was 2008? Uh, yes, the crash happened in 2008. I mean... Really? When did they start? They all do the dingy thing. Clicks, yeah. The, the click and the dingy well, thing. Well, and interesting you bring that up. Let's talk about that. Let's. So, a, people asked AB why Beijing wasn't wearing a seatbelt. She always wore her seatbelt. There mm-hmm. would never be a time where she wasn't wearing her seatbelt. And <laughs> what AB told his children, he has uh, three adult children from his first marriage. And Betty Jean also has children. She has some siblings. Um, But he told his daughters that uh, Betty Jean was uncomfortable on the way to the hospital and had taken her seatbelt off just coincidentally right before the deer had run out into the road. Mm -hmm. He told Betty Jean's sisters that Betty Jean had started playing this game in the car to see how long it takes for the indicator to stop making noise if she's not wearing a seatbelt. Just playing that game. Yeah. What? Yes. Which was their Mm. response. She's in discomfort such that she needs to be urgently rushed to the hospital, but she's playing a game going, I wonder how fucking long it takes for this thing to ding or not. Right. Okay. Sure. Um, So he gives. Sounds very truthful. I agree. Yeah. He gives some really weird and inconsistent statements about why she's not wearing her seatbelt. Um, was also reported that, um, oh, the the people who came by to, uh, who just happened by the crash that morning, uh, Stan and April, they come by, they see the car alongside the road, they pull over, uh, they see AB, they see Betty Jean. Betty Jean is covered in massive amounts of blood. She's having problems breathing um she's struggling um ab seems fine uninjured and indifferent to what is happening in the car uh they ask him if he's called 911 and he says no he has a phone (laughs) (coughs) troubling he has a phone it's troubling i think what we call that is a red flag yeah. yeah so the passersby call 911. Uh, so we have their statements about what AB's demeanor was at the crash scene. Um, we also have um, EMS reporting similar things about AB's demeanor. He was walking around, didn't really have a scratch on him. And meanwhile, you know, Betty Jean is lifeless and he does not seem overly concerned. Um, well, shit happens. Right? You know, them deers come out of nowhere. Yeah, this is PA. People and die from deer all the time. Then there were the... Uh, That's why we kill them. Well, and people <laughs> people, people do die from I mean, it's true. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know... You normally, vegans best recognize I'm saving lives. Right? Yeah. Taking these deer out. And then... But even um, so, still normally a reaction. There yeah. was the... Uh, they thought it was strange that uh, Betty Jean was cremated, and especially that A.B. had her cremated so quickly. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, they did have some physical evidence... Oh, they also had a witness that they found who testified at trial. Um, 
And I guess she was a friend of A.B., uh, maybe of the couple. You got many friends. But A.B. had told her that Betty Jean had discovered his affair with Cindy Missanti. <sighs> and Betty Jean told him to end it or she would file divor- for divorce. And she further stated that A.B. said he didn't want to divorce because he didn't want to lose half of everything. Um which is fine, but to me, it's bigger than. I mean, he's a pastor. He's been a pastor for a long time. Right. Got a really good reputation. Right. Knows a lot of important people. It probably wouldn't look good that he's having sex with his secretary at the church. No. Um, and again, right? Oh. He would probably completely lose his post because that's yeah. what ultimately happened yeah. when the affair came out anyway. He was all standing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but anyway, they also had some physical evidence from the photographs. Um, AB's statement was that he had been going 45 to 50 miles per hour when he swerved to avoid the deer. He described the car spinning out of control, um, causing Betty Jean to strike her head. Uh, then they impacted the guardrail and she hit her head off the windshield. But the photographs from the scene are really interesting. They show no skid marks or evidence of breaking in the road. There is very minimal damage to the car. And I wish I had downloaded a picture of this car to show you guys. Mm. Because there's only a little bit of front end damage. It looks like even on the driver's side. (laughs) Um, The car is still perfectly drivable. She, but she's covered in blood and... The airbags did not deploy in the vehicle. So she sustained head trauma, I assume, yes. such that it killed her, yes. but there was really no damage to the car. Correct. More or less superficial. Correct. And there was barely... There was some damage to the guardrail, but... So so kiss the guardrail... you think the guardrail maybe, would be gone right. if they were going... 55 miles Kiss an Kiss the guardrail, maybe some fender damage or whatever sheet metal, and, but she dead. She yeah. dead. She dead. Okay. Um, that windshield bludgeoned her, right? Mm. <laughs> That's what it was. Um, also, they're, of course, on their way to the hospital. Uh, Betty Jean is experiencing pain, but she was aware enough that she got dressed. She wasn't wearing, like, pajamas or anything. Uh, got herself put together. No purse in the car. Mm. So I don't, she wouldn't have had her medical card or her ID. Not in the car. No. Um, I fancy, I don't think she was planning on going to the hospital. Yeah, I don't either. There are uh, passive blood drops in the threshold of the vehicle. So, so she's like, bleeding before she gets in. Mm. That's that is that is something that was noted. Uh, there is also blood that's been soaked into the seat under where Betty's body was sitting, uh, and it appears to some eyes to be uh, drying in some places. I, can uh, who the hell looks at this car this thoroughly originally, or maybe they just never looked at it? But somebody got this evidence, and then was just like. Nothing, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here, folks. How does that happen? Well, and I think the issue was this was just a motor vehicle accident they were called out for. Like you said, people swerve to avoid missing deer all the time. Um, and no one immediately registered anything sinister ah. about it. Um, 
I just one officer know. was there and took pictures, but I guess when the medical examiner's like, yeah, this is this is head drama, so it makes sense that she was an understrained passenger in a motor vehicle when they had a crash. <clears throat> right. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, if I'm a patrol officer and I'm responding to this accident and I'm looking at it, I'm going, man, that lady looks fucked up. Because that's real thing. dead. And that car Not so looks much. fine. Yeah. yeah. How did that happen? And, and road officers. They Notice see stuff car wrecks. like that. They, yeah. they see car wrecks all the time and they see when people avoid deer and they see head-on collisions and single vehicle collisions and multi-vehicle collisions. And I just, I'm surprised and that it, nobody went. And EMS too. Strange. EMS too. They, right. yeah, they word. had one, word. they had one EMS, um, one responder testified at trial that the extensive injuries to her in her experience did not match yeah. The significance of the crash. Right. Yeah. So you wait to speak up till after somebody else is <laughs> right. gathered? Correct. On the, okay. So That's good. Um, there was also noted to be some blood splatter such that it would indicate that whatever struck it was already bloody. Okay. Hmm. So like the, I forget what they call that, but yeah. When, yeah. You, when you hit a pool of blood and it. Yeah. Um, so based upon their review of these photographs and their talking to people throughout the investigation of Joe's death, they get search warrants in December of 2008, five months after the crash, for the Parsonage house. Now, they've got pretty good access to the Parsonage house because OAB has already had to bounced, move out yeah. Bounced, yeah. when he resigned from the church. So the police do something really smart. They, while they're searching <clears> the house... They have A.B. at the station being questioned by an officer. Um, so they arrange to have him questioned while they're executing this warrant. Oh, so contemporaneous search and interrogation. Yes. Nice. So they walk in and are like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Because in the garage, there appears to be blood stains on the floor that are visible to the naked eye. <laughs> no, no need for a luminol. You can just nah. look and see. It's right. Uh, he didn't even clean so it up. So immediately they're like, are you kidding me? That looks like blood. So they set everything up. They take pictures of it just in natural light with what you can see with the naked eye. Then they set up uh, everything to do the luminol. Uh, they leave their uh, tripods and cameras in the same position, take pictures with the luminol in the dark to show where the luminol is shining. Keep in mind, this is a garage. So when you turn off the lights, it is completely dark in there. And you need the darkness and the special light to see the luminol. Right. Um, this is going to come up later when we talk about what happened during the trial and appeals. But that's the process that they use. They can, you can see where the blood is. In the luminol pictures, like you could see where the light is, but you can't really tell in relation to the rest of the room, the room where that is. It's all dark. It's all dark. <clears throat> okay. So they do this photographing. There is extensive blood evidenced in the garage. There seems to be a trail of it going from the door to the garage to where the car would have been parked in the garage. Uh, you know how, like, when you're in a garage, you can tell where the car sits all the time because yeah. there are tracks in the way the dirt is. Uh, they're like, hmm. Looks like that car sat there all the time and this blood just disappears where that car would have been. So they, of course, take samples and tests determined that the blood belonged to Betty Jean. But before they know that for sure, keep in mind while they're doing this and they see these blood drops in the garage, AB is at the police station. 
getting interviewed. So they're like, uh, can you ask, ask him, him about, why yeah. there's a bunch of blood <laughs> in his garage, though? So the officer starts asking A.B. about what's up with the garage blood. And at first he says, no, nah, Betty, Betty never would have bled in the garage. There, there's no blood in the garage. I would have remembered that. Uh, and <laughs> then the officer's like, but, you know, I mean, they at the Parsonage house right now, and they see the blood, though. Uh, so eventually he makes up this story about a wood pile. Uh, he says that at one point there is a wood pile in their garage and uh, someone had seen it and advised them it's not good to keep that much wood in the garage because mm. you can get critters and things like that. Snake in the wood pile. Uh, right. So you should keep it outside and just bring in however many pieces you need. That's good advice. So they decided they were going to move this wood pile. Uh, and during the movement of the wood pile, wood falls. And actually, I think at one point he says it cut both of them. Oh. Uh, and that's why there's blood in the garage. It's that's, pretty much a splinter wound. Right, right, right. Um, so the officer proceeds to ask him about how big this pile was. And he like, he talks about it being like three feet high at one point, And he's like, they fell at three feet high. And you're telling me she cut her hand on it like that. I don't, I don't understand. That, that doesn't sound... <laughs> Malarkey. Yeah, that doesn't sound right. Um, so he says they moved this wood pile outside. And the officer, they're like, ask him where it is outside. <clears throat> so he tells them. And they do find a little pile of wood in like what would be either... I don't know if you call it a fire pit or a burn pile or whatever. Mm -hmm. But he's got a little pile of wood out there. And the officers who were there move the wood pile around. And they see that there's newspaper under the woodpile. Guess when the newspaper was from? When, Cheryl? September of 2008. And Betty Jean Dunn died in July of 2008. Ain't no way this this was... Uh, this, Betty Jean was dead by the time this woodpile got here. So they're like, none of your story about this woodpile makes any goddamn sense. Uh, and eventually he does admit that he's lying about the woodpile. What? What is? But Jesus he, knows, right? He continues to give no alternative explanation as to why there's any blood in this garage. And I mean, to clarify, like, we talking a droplet here or there, or no. we're talking like these are pools of blood. I'm telling you, there was a trail of blood from the door of the garage to the car. There's and then it just a stops. good amount of it, uh, more toward like where the car would have been beside the car. Indicating that maybe they paused there, uh -huh. you know, while he was trying to figure out how to pick her bloody ass up and put it in the car. This fella sounds dumb. Yeah, right. So, I mean, yeah, presumably at this point, we're, we're the police in the parsonage home and we're saying, okay, old girl got got inside the house and drug out here to this point at the vehicle. I mean, the, 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 there's a path, a trail. Yes, to this point, pooling to suggest there was a pause. Then it, she's in the car, and then we're crashing, and uh, she's suffering traumatic injury, even though the car is more or less fine. Right. Okay. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so now if you I'm are on, correctly understanding, so now if I'm on scene, I'm like, I want to go up in this house and see if I can find some mo blood. Mm. Yeah, I don't remember any testimony about any blood other than what they found in the, in garage. the garage. Okay. All right. Um, I'm interested to find out. I hope we get to find out what he hit her with. Me too. You know, what What was the instrument of doom? I so 
it's important at this point in time when talking about the investigation into Betty Jean's death mm-hmm. to also go back to the mention of A.B.'s first wife. Yes, you've mentioned her a couple times yes. now. So Is she also in the ground? Yes. Oh! So A.B. Shermer was married before. Uh, he got married to a, a lovely lady uh, right in college uh, in 1968. Hmm. Her name was Jewel. Oh. Jewel and A.B. were married for over 30 years. And as I stated, had three children. They mm-hmm. met at uh, Messiah College. It's pronounced in Grantham, Sharon. In, <laughs> in Grantham, Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, Jewel sang soprano. A.B. sang tenor. And by 1976, Tell they were they actually touring music. as the singing Shermer family. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Yes. Yes. So is that is that on Amazon, you think? Is that on Prime? Uh Actually, if you go to the Monroe County Prosecutor's Office website. I believe it's pronounced Monroe. Thanks. They have, it is pronounced Monroe if you're talking about the county in West Virginia. Oh, sorry. Confused. Yes. Uh, I don't, I, I, mm, I don't know where it would be available. But if you go to the Monroe County Prosecutor's website, they have a link to a, <laughs> An old recording that A.B. did with uh, two other gentlemen before, I believe, they started the singing Shermer family. Mm. Why uh, in the hell does the prosecutor's office have a link to that? They have a page set up where they talk generally about the case. And then at the end, there's a link to go uh, to one of his songs. They just have like, you know. In, in in for a business or, or something, they've got like an about us link. They've got like cool cases we prosecuted before. <laughs> they do, and then they've got like for more information, follow these follow links. Go to our. We've got music. We've got all you need. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to talk to the boss about updating the website. Yes, and actually, uh, after uh, AB left the ministry at readers mm-hmm. he formed another Got back in the trio game damn right he did with two other men who, you can't keep him down yeah who decided that they were going to minister through song and that's what he was actually doing up until uh, up through the investigation awesome. okay yeah so uh they're the singing Shermer family back there in in 76 uh and all is well seemingly until April 23rd, 1999. Uh, A.B. gets back from uh, a jog around the neighborhood mm-hmm. and reports that he finds Jewel Shermer unconscious at the bottom of the basement stairs. Um, oh, there no. is a, a vacuum cord around her ankle, so it's assumed that she was vacuuming the stairs. Uh, she was taken to the hospital where she was placed on life support and eventually A.B. pulled that plug because that's what he do. I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. Yes. Somewhere else. So when a law, when EMS comes out to the Shermer household in 1999 for the call with Joel, they did not notify law enforcement because back then you didn't notify law enforcement unless you suspected foul play, hmm. uh, which they did not. However, uh, some members of Jules' family did, specifically her brother, whose name is John Bainey. So John was suspicious of A.B. based upon things that A.B. had said to him. Uh, John had seen some evidence where someone had scrubbed portions of the basement floor and a wall in the Shermer home. 
and uh, AB said something about the paramedics cleaning up when they were there to uh, tend to Jewel, which Bainey knew was bullshit. Yeah, it's not a thing uh, to do. Yeah, not only is it pretty commonly known to be bullshit, but Bainey was actually EMS for a time, <laughs> uh, and he knew that that's not something that they did. This guy's so, so dumb, but he's got away with multiple murders lies. for a minute. But wait, so the day before Jewel Shermer's funeral, mm-hmm. John Bainey calls police, reports these suspicions. The police actually get a body warrant for Joel Shermer and have an autopsy performed. This is why he knows later to get the girl cremated. Exactly. Number two, number two gets That's burnt. That's exactly right, Joseph. Yeah. He's learning. Improvise and adapt. So uh, when John Bainey called to report his suspicions, he specifically asked the officer why no autopsy had been done on his sister. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, Bro, I don't know. I don't know about your sister. Uh, so he did a little looking, and he was like, if this really was something, I didn't want to not have an autopsy. So I got that body warrant so the family wouldn't be immediately informed. Mm-hmm. We had that autopsy done. Enter my boy. Oh, this is your dude. My dude. Body, yaddy, yaddy, yaddy. <laughs> Dr. Wayne Ross, forensic pathologist, blood pattern expert, certified badass. <laughs> So, OG. Dr. Ross does an autopsy on Jewel Shermer in 1999. Uh, he determines the cause of her death to be a traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. She had bruises, skull fractures, brain bleeds, uh, and a large number of impacts to her head. Hmm. However, what she did not have was any neck injury, pelvic injury, rib fractures. Uh, and these number and types of head impacts are really not consistent with a typical fall see I, there i disagree with him i think if you fall down a flight of steps i would expect you to have multiple blunt force traumas to your head and nowhere else in your body that to me is how you're you just fall down skipping the, down the stairs yeah. on ding, your ding, head ding, on the ding, top ding, of your ding. head yeah yeah i hit different sides of your head as you go down but, but yeah, you don't that, think the rest of your body going to be taking hits no no that seems legit <laughs> that seems totally legit to me no. No, so no, no neck injury, nothing. No, <laughs> all head, all head, <laughs> all head. No bruises, no fractures, no, just all head. So at about the same time he's doing this autopsy, though, they get word from the organ donor registry. Mm. Jewel had apparently been an organ donor, sweet old girl, and her organs were harvested while she was still on life support, but the heart was unusable. Because they said it looked to them like she had had a massive heart attack. So immediately the police are like, had a heart attack fell downstairs. Right. Closed. <clears throat> not my boy. Not Dr. No. Wayne Ross. This is hell no. Not Ross. She ain't had no heart attack. He was like, give me that heart though. Oh. Send me that heart. So they did. Uh, he found no <laughs> indications. Let me, let, me get, let me get that heart, bro. No indications <laughs> in her body or her heart <laughs> that she had had any long-term heart disease. Uh, he opines that the, and he was using all these really big words, mm. that the they increased that. Trip, tripping levels. Okay. Uh, and the damage that was, right? And the damage that he saw to the heart is commonly caused by life-saving efforts by first responders mm. and medical staff when they're trying to revive a person whose heart is not beating. So he opines that that heart, though, I was not a heart attack. That was life-saving efforts. That's why that heart's not usable. That's why there's damage there. Because they were getting after it on those compressions. They were getting after it. Okay. Uh, and he says, quote. If you're going to do it, do it, you know. He says, yeah, right. quote, 
I examined the heart myself. There was no heart attack. Woo. He also advised them for, to pursue the case further for evidence of a potential homicide. He was ignored and ultimately ended up listing Joel Shermer's manner of death undetermined. Mm. So when they're investigating Joe's death, Betty Jean's death, and they go to ask about Jewel, they got that report handy because her cause of death, Swoop. her manner of death is undetermined. Indeed. Not accidental, undetermined. Undetermined. He said that he didn't feel like he had enough evidence of him, like any particular person murking her. Right. right. To call it a homicide. But, but it was not like, typical of a fall. Right. Yeah. yeah. The word titleist wasn't stuck into the back of her head from that golf club. Right. Right. Not typical of a fall. Very suspicious. Uh, listed it as undetermined. Mm -hmm. So as all of these investigations are occurring, uh, <laughs> officials in <laughs> officials in Lebanon County, where Jules Shermer died, decide they're going to reopen the investigation into Jules' death. Mm, reopen that cold right. case. So in 2020, the police call up John Bainey and tell him they're reopening the investigation into his sister's death because they didn't believe she fell down the stairs. And he said, no shit. I told you that back in 99. He knows what it is. He knows what it is. So uh, they still have one issue. That's a big issue in Betty Jean's death, uh, which was that they had no meaningful autopsy on Petty Jean. Right. Her body has been cremated. Right. And Which they have do. a cursory report from an ME that says that her injuries are consistent yeah. with an unrestrained passenger in a motor vehicle accident. Mm, so what do dummy. you do? Stone do you do? dummy. What do you do about that? You know what I you mean, do about I, that? I guess what you get another medical examiner to, uh, to challenge it. To, you know to what you do about that? Tell me about it. it. What do you do? You call on my boy, Dr. Wayne uh, Ross. Uh, Ross is in the house. You call on him. So he does say, a secondary? Well, he can't do a, an autopsy on Betty Jean. She did. Right, but. But you know what he do, Dodo? Tell me about it. You know what he do, Dodo? What he do, do? He gets the CAT scans and x-rays that they took of Betty Jean when she got when to, she the hospital. to the hospital. Mm. And you know, those things are. Amazing now, which you can see on them. Mm -hmm. And they do a 3D imaging model of Betty Jean's head so that you can see her injuries. Science. Science. It's a beautiful thing. Dr. Ross. Uh, and as soon as they do that, everyone Ooh. is fucking shook. <laughs> <laughs> fucking shook. Because what he finds the is... patterns of injuries to both Betty Jean and Joel's, head, Joel's heads are nearly identical. Damn. They both had two major blows mm. and resultant lacerations to the right side of their heads. Uh, he explains them. He says they look like a football when you look at them mm -hmm. as far as the, the patterns that they make. Mm -hmm. um, and he said that they're indicative of being struck by a hard cylindrical instrument like a pipe or a crowbar. Yikes. They both had craniotomies to the left side of the head and the patterns of their head injuries were almost identical. They were the same. It's not good. Um, one of the detectives said it was hard to believe you weren't looking at the same skull when you compared the injuries. images of the injuries. And so we're saying right side of the skull is where they suffered these injuries? Uh, two blows to the right side, yes. So I'm assuming 
just playing the odds. I'm assuming dude's right-handed, so that means he's smoking them from behind. Mm. Oh, I would guess. I don't know. Okay. Um, so sinister. About mm-hmm. him being right-handed, we're going to have an interesting conversation about that later. Mm. That was weird. That was really weird. Hmm. Um, there's an interesting way they talk about what his dominant hand is. His handedness. Oh. Switch hitter. So... Um, Eventually, after doing the 3D imaging and presenting all this other evidence in the investigation to the medical examiner's office in uh, Monroe County, the Emmy's office switches Betty Jean's manner of death to homicide. Um, They also get an accident reconstructionist expert who uh, this dude's name is Dr. Zoltan Rado. Zoltan Redo. Yes. All right. Uh, he is with the Penn State Crash Safety and Research Institute. Okay. Um, he estimates, based upon his modeling, that the car was going 18 to 22 miles per hour at the time of the accident. What do you say? Crime. 45, 50? He said 45, 55. Those are not the same. Um. And there were testimony, again, from a number of sources that the injuries Betty Jean suffered were way too extensive for the damage to the car. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't say. So after the grand jury's investigation into the death of Betty Jean, the police get a call from Samantha Masanti, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. reports her mom just told her AB bought her a ring. So Sam is concerned for her mother even more because she about to be wife number three. And you know what happened to wife's number one and number two. Oh, they got real dead. Real dead, real fast. Mm. Real dead, real fast. Uh, so in September of 2010, more than two years after Betty Jean's death, Shermer is arrested and charged with Betty Jean's murder. Dope. Dun, bum, bum. Good place to pause this, I mean, uh, this saga. I mean, yeah, I I'm mean, intrigued. I, I like want to hear more, but indeed. Yeah, so, I mean, he's just been charged with Betty Jean right now. We ain't even talking about... We ain't even about, talking about hopping in that time machine. Yeah. Back to old girl. Maybe there's bodies in the basement. In the backyard. I don't know. We don't know how sinister he be. I'm telling you. But he is definitely a sinister minister. That's right. This is going This is going to end up... This is fixing to be a three-parter if there's that much more to go. Yeah. I'm excited for it. Me too. I'm loving every bit of this. <laughs> Me too. This one's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> So the, interesting. the hype That's was why real. I've been wanting to talk about the it. hype is real. I I get it. That's why uh, I've been wanting to talk about it. I get I it. I just so far though I am I am flummoxed at these dummies. <laughs> we're sitting there flummoxed being, at these dummies. He's just sitting there being like, "Man, that car is pretty much all right, but she is super fucking dead." <laughs> ah, nothing to see here. Yeah. And then I mean, I guess the falling down the stairs thing is whatever. But like, how are you going to be an Emmy and be like, "Well, this bitch fell down the stairs, fucked her head all up." But her neck, good to go. Totally good. Ribs, That's wrists, why he called and, it undetermined. Don't be talking about my boy. No, 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 not him. He he yeah, did it right. right. Talking about my but boy. the original, it's like, what? Mm-hmm. How do y'all just go, well, looks like she fell down the stairs. For real? It do? Mm. Okay, whatever. But I guess if we didn't have fools making calls like that, we wouldn't have stuff to talk about on this podcast. That's so, true. You know what I'm and, saying? And to go back, Dr. Ross did the original autopsy on Jules Shermer. And found that she ain't fall down those stairs. Right. Well, mm-hmm. okay. called it undetermined. That's true. I guess it was just a. 
I, law enforcement was just like, ah, we're going to pass. Yeah. Well, when law enforcement got word from the National Organ Owner Registry that she looked like she had a heart attack, they were like, oh, she had a heart attack that yeah. downstairs. Okay. Well, then bad on the police on that one. Right. And from what uh, Dr. Ross indicates, he had been telling the police to investigate despite this claim of the heart attack because when no heart attack, he saw that heart. The heart was was uh, messed up from the CPRs. Yeah. He said that wasn't a heart attack, no. son. This was the CPRs. Hmm. Mm. Well, yeah, no, this is awesome. I'm, I'm all in on this, Cheryl. So you got much. me. Yep. You got me so much. And I have a feeling that there's even more juicy, sinister minister to come. He gets so sinister. Oh man! <laughs> if what we've heard so far is it pales in comparison to what the, to the forthcoming so sinister, mm. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait either. So and sinister. I bet the listeners feel the same way. So in the meantime. Uh, you can reach us at uh, notruebillpodcast at gmail.com, uh, where we always love any messages that you may have, uh, good or bad or indifferent. And uh, I, oh man, but I hope you're, you're going to be messaging a few indifferent. That seems like a waste yeah, of everybody's right? time. Maybe people are just lonely. Just get emails and, and they're like, <laughs> they just say, meh. Right? <laughs> this is all right. This is, yeah, this is tolerable. This is, you know, whatever. I'll take it. I'll take anything. Um, but, uh, oh, man, real excited for part due it's on this. Great. It's going to be an absolute banger. It's going to be great. Wait, wait, till you, wait till you know Woo. how they tried to introduce what his dominant hand was. Woo! Woo. It's going to be spicy. going to be spicy. Well, until next time, y'all stay out of trouble. One of those. That's <laughs> lovely. <clears throat> you could have made shirts, dog. You missed opportunity. You could have made oh, shirts. Really? Where your talk- draws is, girl? girl.